We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Mike. Darius is out today. He is day-to-day. And the first two pods of the week, we talked about the importance of shooting was our first Lakers pod. And then we talked about the limitations of Rudy Gobert and Ben Simmons in the playoffs. And in some ways, this pod is kind of a continuation of a similar theme in that we're going to talk about Anthony Davis at the five. Mike, last year during our championship run, during the regular season, AD's minutes, according to basketball reference anyway, uh, 60% of his minutes during the regular season was at the four but and 40% at the five. This season, it was a 90-10 split in favor of his minutes at the four. Now... We talked, you know, a lot about the the importance of spacing, the importance of defensive versatility from your bigs. Anthony Davis is the pinnacle of that type of player, but we went away from that this season. And I'm curious your thoughts on why that happened and if you think that we need to get more back toward that. Yeah, Pete. First of all, I think Darius is out uh, just for today with scuff shoes. Uh, that's which is a, a number three <laughs> on the displeasure scale. He's working on it. Uh, he will be back. Uh, I think I'm going to list him as probable for the next pod uh, once he gets those cleaned up. And, you know, it's not to the level of like microwave fish or anything. So we should be good on that. As for AD, I thought Peter was much more just about the personnel that they had in the roster and the fact that there were some good centers that all needed to play. And it was it was Marcus all to start the season. And those lineups were pretty good uh, with market center and with AD at the four. And then coming off the bench, Montrezl Harrell was playing the center spot and he played well, uh, certainly early in the season. He, he did kind of what we're used to seeing Montrezl Harrell do it at that in the various other stages of his career. And that was why AD didn't really need to go to play the center because they were also winning games. And it wasn't like they were getting, you know, they were having, they were not having success with either one of those groups. And therefore Frank Vogel said, "Uh Oh, you know, it's, it's time to go to this AD at the five lineup. Like this is how we should be closing games. And we've all gone over this multiple times. They were 21 and six when AD got hurt on Valentine's day. So 
I just think when he came back, Pete, it was a whole different equation where LeBron was out and then AD was out and KCP was out and Shooter was out and, and Gasol was out and then they got Drummond. And so I, it's so difficult that in that context to look at the numbers, which of course are accurate and say, oh, wait, he played 90% of his minutes at center or at, uh, sorry, at power forward this year. And last year it was the other split. And I think that we know why. The question now becomes, and, and let me kick this back to you, what is the ideal split? How much of that has to do simply with personnel? And is it something you even worry about given the fact that Vogel has always shown that when the Lakers need to win, he whatever the lineup is, he's going to put it out there. If it's 80 at the 5, it's 80 at the 5. If it's 80 at the 4, that's fine too. So it, he does seem to be flexible based on them needing to win games, but is there a, a balance that you'd like to see uh, that after after watching how the last two seasons have gone? I'd like to see him around 35-ish percent during the regular season at the five spot. You know, there's a there's an argument to be made that you don't want him absorbing the contact that goes with playing the five spot. Now, there are physical demands at the four as well, but they're, it's less of the banging, right? It's less boxing out Jonas Valanciunas and Steven Adams and all of the really big guys at the five spot uh, in, in the West in particular. But... 10 is too low for me, even during the regular season. And with the idea in mind that the regular season is just preparation for the playoffs. I do think there needs to be more familiarity in that in the playoffs. And that's where the split flips for me, right? Like I'd like that to be 65% of him at the center during, during the playoffs, as opposed to the, you know, 35, he only played 20% of his minutes against Phoenix. Now, part of that is because of DeAndre Ayton and because of the matchup that Phoenix presented in that, as we talked about in the last pod, Ayton is capable of beating smaller units. And now AD at the five is not a small unit in particular, but the types of guys that have given AD problems defensively, we talked about rendering Gobert you know, from a 10 out of 10 defender to like a four out of five or four out of 10 type of defender when he has to close out. It's not quite that severe when AD has to bang against big fives, but he's not as dominant when he has to defend those guys. Now, the flip side of that, though, is on the offensive end, right, where he can usually if a guy is big enough to bother him on that end of the floor, he's usually too slow to be able to keep up with AD on the other end. And so for me, Mike, it becomes more of a matter of resource allocation elsewhere at the five i'm a big trez guy but i think that if we can get an andre drummond at a and part of this is hindsight 2020 right you don't know during last offseason that you can get drummond or somebody like that at the trade deadline but i think that similar to like running backs in the nfl that maybe not spending the mle on a five when anthony davis at the end of the day is the best center on the roster regardless of who we will be able to sign so in terms of how we approach this summer, what is it important to do with the center position? And where do you stand on that, Mike? Is that something that we want to see 30 minutes of AD at the five and 10 minutes at the four? How, what would that split look like for you? And then how does that impact the rest of the roster? No, I think it's I think it looks more like probably the championship year where and this plays into your point that you've been making all year, Pete, about the continuity and the familiarity aspects that the Lakers didn't have. And I, I ultimately still think that that happened more because of injury than it did because of lineup allocation. But for sure, however you get to it, I think that you want guys to be familiar, at least for the most part, with with certain lineups that they're going to go to and knowing that in certain situations that that's going to be the one where AD does slide over. And I think so to that end, this is where 
if you maybe instead of having the three guys who can only play center, which would be, you know, Marcus Saul and Andre Drummond and Montrose Harrell, you know, maybe you have two guys that can only play center like last year's setup where it's you got Dwight, you got JaVale. Ideally, one of those guys can stretch. It, so so the, here, here's the let me let me zoom out uh, and just uh, not to not to dis, not to disband what I just said. But if you have one guy who's the traditional center, so this is the Dwight Howard, that type of player. Then you have a second center who is the Marcus All type. Then at that point, instead of having a third guy that is best to play center, maybe you just have another kind of Markeith Morris type that can sw- they can switch between can play small center, small ball center, but can also play power forward and move his feet on the perimeter. And that way, then AD becomes essentially your third sort of rim protection type center, as opposed to your fourth. Uh, in or the guy right. that is primary position is the five. So that to me, and that again, that is the roster construction they had in the title year. It was a little bit different this year, and it, it just it seemed like Pete for even for Frank Vogel that if he was going to play AD half the game at center, another guy that deserved to be playing minutes just wasn't going to play at all, and that could be tough, right? And, and so maybe it's to me it's almost that simple. Is if you can if you can construct the roster that way, great, but. It always depends on who's available and talent, and it's it's sometimes a little easier said than done. For sure, and there's always a calculation of do I get the more talented big guy rather than the less talented wing, right? Like there's always a threshold where that wing is probably not good enough to play anyway. So you got to you want to go after the more talented big. Where do you stand though on the idea that they need to play more during the regular season with AD at the five, just for the sake of that continuity and cohesion? And again, your point about the injuries being the main culprit of that, of course. But even when AD did play, there wasn't a lot of building up because, like, the biggest weakness on this team that I think is prominent over these last couple of years has been the non-LeBron lineups. That's true of every LeBron team, of course, but. I don't think it's far-fetched to think that there is a there are really good AD lineups, right? Like AD is a, a legit superstar, and there's no reason that we can't have like LeBron lineups, you know, non-LeBron lineups in Cleveland, for example, being a lot worse. Like, well, of course, they didn't have that second guy, at least until Kyrie came of age. But with AD, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that we can be great in those types of, of lineups. So how... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, what what is no, the value sure. of that? There, I think there's value there. I'm totally with you. There, there are two ways that I think about AD's season. And one is the specific ways that you are, Pete, as in what's his best lineup? How much should he play the five? How much should he play the four? How much should they run the offense through him? Uh, all of that. And then there's the, hey, I don't care what the lineup is. If AD's being aggressive going to the hoop, then you're in good shape. And that's, for example, just take the Phoenix series. Didn't play well in game one. Played in essentially the same lineup construction in game two. One game he had 13 and seven, the other game he had 34 and 10. And if the, the difference basically is the free throw line, he took 21 free throw attempts in game two, he took 14 in game three because Andre Drummond started at center. Uh, Marcus all played, didn't matter, like, didn't matter. He, he, the go switch was on, the foot was on the pedal, and no team in the NBA has an answer for it. They just don't because I don't care who the four or the five is, you cannot stop him. If he gets into that, if he's putting his head down and getting into the paint, because he's got the, the little mid-range game. If you're on drop coverage, he can finish over you with the rim. He can uh, certainly draw fouls on anybody that's bigger that's trying to stay with him. He can, If you want to play really big on him, 
he'll do what he did against Portland and step out and hit a couple of jump shots. So all of that, uh, and I, I say Portland, this is, of course, round one, uh, two seasons ago. So that's all of that's there. But part of it to me is about he is now watching these postseason games just like LeBron is. And it's the same scenario that was happening two years ago when the Lakers didn't make the playoffs, when AD was yet to be a Laker. And does he feel like he now has not something to prove because he already answered that he doesn't need to prove to himself that he's he's a top player in the league. But does he want to come out and have an MVP type season? And put the pedal on from the start and be aggressive every night. And if he's doing that, then it matters a little bit less about lineup construction. But if he's going to kind of, if he's going to approach the season as he did this 19 or this 2021 season, and LeBron was the one that was driving from the start and AD was kind of, you know, picking up as he went, then everything that you just said becomes a little bit more important about what lineup he's in and how, where he's getting his touches. So I hope that's not – I hope I'm not uh, confusing myself with that, Pete. Those are kind of two different <laughs> things I went to. But I, I just – I don't know exactly how AD is going to approach the season. And and so it's a little harder to answer the question. We can talk about what's ideal. But if he's if he's going to be aggressive from the start and the Lakers are thinking, yo, let's get the number one seed. Let's not mess around. Let's actually use the home court with these full crowds. Here's This is the response. You know, this is revenge season. If that happens uh, with with Anthony Davis, then that to me would be priority number one. And then priority priority number two is figuring out the four versus five in the roster balance. hundred percent. And I think it goes to a certain philosophical point where it's interesting having these conversations where uh, I've, I've got some friends who I you know respect very much who are very adamant AD needs to play the five and they're not wrong. Right. And that's not something that. He's played plenty of during his playoff career in, in particular, more than than the regular season. But I remember a time not too long ago where if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, the narrative was that shooting teams cannot win an NBA championship. And I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about there's always this ebb and flow between offense and defense, this dance that happens over the course of seasons, of, over multiple seasons, where some attribute or some type of player starts to emerge the stretch for 10 years ago, right? Where it was like, oh, this is a different type of guy than the Charles Oakleys and the Carl Malones and the kind of guys that would be hitting those baseline 15 footers, right? This is a guy that's going to stretch out behind the three-point line. It's funny, Phil was always so anti like the three-point shooting teams, right? They, They can't do it. He was one of the main purveyors of that idea. But I'll be damned if he wasn't using Tony Kukoc in the 90s and Lamar Odom as his four and Robert Ori. He's kind of the, one of the pioneers, quietly, of the stretch four position. And that whole concept of this dance between offense and defense has been going on since the beginning of basketball. I think it would be a mistake to think that we are now in this stagnant place where shooting is... Not the only thing that matters. I know that's not the argument that's being made, but you can swing that pendulum too far in that direction. And I think that the Lakers in many ways are being built as sort of an antidote, a counter to, and that's been the case over the last few years, to the direction that the league's gone. So let's take a quick break. I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of that dance and that ebb and flow that we see over the course of years in the NBA. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So Mike, do you see where I'm coming from with this, right? Like the league is built on spreading the floor and being able to shoot. I would argue that a big part of our construct is to be able to defend that and bludgeon you underneath the basket. So while Anthony Davis at the five is always going to be a great idea, and I'm not trying to advocate against that, I think it's important to have other lineups that are built around the idea of, oh, you're going to go this small and you're going to prioritize shooting to that degree. We're going to kick your ass around the basket. Hey, you're, you're talking to the guy that basically was on the shooting is overrated side of our shooting pot. And uh-huh. uh, it, we we hashed all that out. If you didn't catch that one, go back into the iTunes or Spotify feed or whatever and download it. And it's it's exactly what you just hinted at. And it's also why I've been less adamant that AD has to play X amount of minutes at the five. I think if you need the most recent examples of why that really doesn't matter, again, just go to the Phoenix Sun series and the – Games two, game, game two and game three, he was playing at the four and he completely bludgeoned the Suns and everything was fine. They didn't have to go to small lineups. They were they were in fact, they almost wanted to stay a little bit bigger to have a more of a presence against Aiden. Now, could they have gone small and been just as effective? Sure. But that's that's what part of what my point is. You want that versatility so that you don't have to go to one or two lineups. You don't have to use the lineup uh, where like. With Utah and Rudy Gobert, Pete. Exactly. That's something that we've seen the importance of that in these playoffs is if you can only play one way, that makes you really vulnerable yeah. in the playoffs. And that's the beauty of Anthony Davis, right? That's the part where he's got like Frank Vogel, just by having Anthony Davis there on the roster, has an answer for you. 
And LeBron James is the ultimate answer because he can play any position on either side of the court. He can play point guard. He can play power forward. He can play center. He can play shooting guard. He can play small forward and then go to the defensive end. LeBron can hold up against Aiden, which we saw. Um, he can switch over on your point guard. So you've if you've got two of the more versatile players on either side of the court in the whole NBA, then it's all about crafting up the lineups that are going to best support them against the other squad. And that's, I think, still where the Lakers have to have their uh, their center, Pete, like in, in, in terms of like their their ethos. That's that's how this team was built. And it's not necessarily counter to the shooting revolution. Like LeBron and AD could probably win with three shooters. But what you want to do is support them with defensive players because they do do so much on offense and and oftentimes without a pure point guard um, who's there like a Chris Paul type uh, to really set the table and to really run things. You're asking either LeBron or often Anthony Davis when LeBron is sitting to do a lot more of that stuff. And then it becomes a little bit harder uh, to fulfill the stuff around it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's funny how I, I always end up coming back to sort of this. Well, if you've got these two players, then that's what you have to build around. And of course, but that is what that that is where the Lakers are at. And their two players are not shooting specialists. You know, they're not point guards classically. And and therefore, you you just have a little bit more versatility in how you can build around them. Doesn't that lend credence to the argument that since our two best players are not shooters, it is important that the three guys around them are that. And one of the ways you can accomplish that is Anthony Davis at the five. Right. There are ways to do that with a five that that can shoot as we saw with mark and there are advantages to that but there are disadvantages to that too because if you have a five who can shoot and be dominant around the rim and you know that's one of the issues with mark is that he does so little around the basket on either end of the floor now he you know is great at those block shots where the ball hasn't left the guy's hand he kind of uh you know quick strikes the guy before he gets it up and mark finds ways to to make it work but you're not going to find a guy that's able to do both with the resources that we have. So Anthony Davis at the five is one of the solutions to our shooting. Our offense was bad for stretches this year, for sure. Um, If you're going to put him at the four, what is important to get out of your five? What are the attributes that you need from your five in order to have that versatility, right? Because you can always go to AD at the five. And I would argue that that should be the primary thing in the playoffs. But I also believe that you need to have that that other pitch to throw. What's important from that other big to be able to do? This is where I think I loved how the season started with the space in the lane for LeBron and AD and to have a center that can shoot threes. The whole trick and why this is such a difficult thing for teams to find and why, you know, Marcus Saul started to have increasing value before kind of like while the physical prime was still there. And as the three point shot developed, you could say somewhat of the same thing about Brooke Lopez. Uh, although, you know, those guys mm-hmm. have their, those guys have, you know, other areas where they're not able to do as much defensively, like switching out of the perimeter, but to be able to open up all of that kind of a space when it's Brooke doing it for Giannis, or if it was Marcus all doing it for LeBron and AD, you get, you get an extra edge there where AD is at the four there and he can still be at the four defensively, but he's essentially the five in a lot of ways on offense if you have a stretch five. And so I do really like that construct. And and as I say that, the Lakers won a title without really having that spot, except when they went smaller to Markeith Morris in that role. And, you know, that worked okay too. And, and that just goes to show you where the league has gone 
and you have so few players who are going to actually post you up and punish you. And and even what Pete, when I say that, the Lakers got away with that with Marquise Morris there because then AD could just slide over if it was Jokic and he was going to try to bang you down in the post. So I think what I'm what I'm saying is there's a part of me that is starting to prefer having that space there on offense as opposed to having you know the Dwight or JaVale like the the vertical spacing. But I've I've listened to Frank Vogel enough to know that that vertical spacing can be just as important and that the analytics community for whatever reason doesn't give that quite as much credence as just seeing the obvious space that a stretch five allows. So you but if you have either of those things, I think it can work. Uh, and then it, you know that's that's with AD at the 4. But when he is at the 5, then obviously that was that is when they've been at their best. I just don't think that they could be at their best doing that all season. And I think that like that's another thing that Frank Vogel is constantly bringing up is that part of the reason why the small lineup is so effective late is because the Lakers have been banging on you for either three quarters or for, you know, for a score, the course of a series. So as usual, the answer ends up being both is that you want to have both of those options. And, and I, I think that you just want to lean towards tiny bit more towards the spacing early uh, than the vertical spacing. And, and maybe I've, maybe I've been won over a little bit on that front Pete, but I'm, I'm still fine with the classic screen roll rim runner. Yeah, I actually may be a little more tilted toward the vertical spacing than you are. I I think that it's good to have one of each type of guy next to AD, right? A guy who can be a lob threat and be a a floor spacer. And that, like, Drummond can finish lobs, and he did when LeBron was on the floor at a a higher frequency, but that's not one of the greater strengths of his offensive game, right? Like, he can do it. I think that that is somewhere our offense suffered is that the weak side has to help less on a guy who isn't like Trez, for example, Trez is a groundbound player who can catch and find all of the open windows and whatnot, but he's not a guy where you lob it up in the air and go up and get it. Trez, right? He's smaller than a lot of the guys that are, that are around the basket, at least, you know, vertically. Um, and so I do think that the absence of that hurt a little bit, but all in all, I think that that, that having a different type of player, having a guy who can dominate around the rim or even just be very good around the rim is more important than having that spacer next to AD in those AD at the four lineups. Meaning that, you know, Dwight in 2020 versus Mark in 2021. I think there's more value there because if you want to space the floor, just go to AD at the five. Right. The one thing, though, Mike, yeah. that and this goes back to our, our ongoing Danny Green discussions is if AD is at the five, I think one of the things that you need to do with the rest of your guys is I think your wings and your guards being able to be a little bigger, being able to drop down to sandwich rebound. I think all of that matters more in that AD will lose strength battles to a DeAndre Ayton. We saw that in a game one at the end, right, where we didn't play all that hard for a good portion of that game, but we tried to lock in down the stretch. And Phoenix actually still beat us in part because Aiton was getting a ton of offensive rebounds or there'd be a switch where AD would have to go out on Booker or C or CP three. And then it's Dennis Schroeder or KCP having to tag Deandre Ayton or box him out for a brief moment in those hedge and recover type of situations. I think that one of the undersold and the under discussed parts of having AD at the five is I think you kind of need 
five similar-ish sized guys. Obviously, you're not going to get LeBron and AD caliber athletes, but just bigger guys at those other spots, I think, become really important. You know, the only counter that I would have about the vertical spacing versus perimeter spacing, it's more about LeBron than it is about AD. Because AD, mm-hmm. AD is more about AD's own mindset. To me, if LeBron has space in there, then the defense is screwed. And that's that's like my only thing. So if, if you've got a lineup with AD and JaVale, you're just you're less likely to get, I think, a LeBron drive all the way to the rim. Whereas if you've got LeBron out there with Marcus Saul and then the team has to account for AD on the weak side of the court, LeBron can get to the rim, I feel like, and get guys shots and then the three point. And so to me, Pete, that's why the three point shooting for the Lakers was better early in the season not just because of Mark being the stretch five, but because LeBron was just spraying balls to wide open shooters all over the place. And that's the part that even when when AD was going off in, against Phoenix in the postseason series, it wasn't because the threes were falling and LeBron was getting all the dribble penetration. It was because AD was just being super aggressive himself. And and so that so I, I am curious your thoughts on that. Like if you if you think the LeBron factor specifically and, and that's that's acknowledging that the vertical spacing can, of course, help him, too, because he's going to throw those lobs. But just for his own aggression, what do you think about that? No, that's a, that's a great point. I I do think that LeBron having a rolling partner, though, helps with that, too, meaning that a lot of the the best team wide action and, and this this is more about getting other guys involved in getting quality three point looks than than anything else. Um, you know, for example, KCP would thrive with our second units, meaning that our lineup that would start the second quarter and the fourth quarter, in part because Trez and LeBron had a really good pick and roll action. Now, Trez, again, is not that vertical threat, but the guy, I guess, I guess it's less the vertical spacing that with Mark that it, it it's more like. The, just the inability to roll to the rim and be productive and put pressure on the rim that Darius was talking about this a, a couple pods ago about would I rather have my point guard be able to shoot or my center be able to shoot in terms of the things that the job requires and just the ability to put pressure on the rim I think helps not only LeBron that's a great point but all of our other shooters and I think in a way AD is the least impacted of those guys like you said when AD has that mindset I'm going to wreck shop around the rim that's the thing about like great players is that we talk so much about the the greatest players are the least impacted by the surrounding conditions and environment and in this example actually in some ways I think that AD is is less impacted than anyone so in some ways, LeBron having a pick and roll partner, even though the spacing helps, that it doesn't having that dual pressure on the rim of the roll guy and LeBron being able to do that is he's more impacted by that. Whereas, like you said, AD is a guy who can kind of get his when he needs to. Yeah, that's 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 a, a good way to put it. And I think that the next part for me with AD, when you're when you're thinking about offensive side of the court. And how can he sort of optimize what he's doing? I'm trying to think back to what he was doing in New Orleans, you know, and like where are there other parts of AD's game that could be brought out even more and not just thought of sort of with LeBron on the court as well? Like what are some ways that the Lakers can play better, you know, when he is attacking as that primary player, either in the second unit or whatever that may be? And it's just, I always have to remind myself, though, that he is not a guard. And and even like LeBron doesn't look like a guard, 
but he he is. He can, in fact, sometimes he's the best guard uh, with the way that he can attack and see a right. defense. So you so that's the part where me. So it does matter with whom AD is paired, and I think a lot about who's going to be on the roster next year and what happens with all with the shooter and the Caruso and the THT and those deals. And then which of those guys are going to be best optimized to play next to Anthony Davis? And is there some other kind of a player? Uh, We know that, you know, the season before it was Rondo and it seemed like Rondo did help unlock AD, but yet Rondo struggled also in his own ways in the regular season, you know? So it was hard to evaluate that Pete because like those two played pretty well together in the postseason, but the numbers on it weren't good in the regular season. So the question back to you then is what kind of guard is optimal next to AD? Uh, what kind of guard brings out the stuff that that he can do and and maybe even helps him go another step as he as he tries to get uh, and I don't want to say tries to get back to, but he certainly does want to get back to that All NBA first team level from two years ago. One of the ongoing storylines of this season was Schroeder and AD's lack of lob attempts and part of that was ad was not rolling to the rim you're not gonna get mad at the guard if the if the guy sets the screen and stands at the elbow right that's the thing that ad does that irritates me by the way is like if he's gonna pop like pop behind the three-point line i i I generally don't like the the pick and stand at the elbow and and take that shot anyhow but you could see uh, i would always see this in the melt and there was a game against houston this was right before harden got traded we had those back-to-backs in houston relatively early in the season and we just smoked them in in both of those games and there was a play where Schroeder threw a lob to ad and it was their first or one of their first lobs of the season and both guys were like like ad's running back and he's laughing and Schroeder is our arms in the air triumphantly like you could see that this was something we're like how do we get to how do we unlock this and how do we get more of these lob attempts and so for me it's a pick and roll partner and that's somebody that Dennis for whatever reason didn't have great chemistry with anybody on ball screens this season and so it's the scoring ability ideally of Dennis with the ability to set a guy up like Rondo one thing D always talks about is how Rondo would throw AD open or, you know, he would throw that lob and say, go get it. And it kind of would, that was how he would go about unlocking. And so some, now we're talking about a pretty good player if we're talking about somebody who can do that, but that's why in that spot, why I'm was critical of a Danny green. If you're making $16 million, right. Plus you've got to have, we we need a guy in the spot that can do both. And so it that comes down to that third type of player. How about you? What are, what's the kind of guy that you think that can help unlock AD? Yeah, I think that that's a, a nice way to put it. And what so it's it's earlier career Rondo type guy. And as you said, Pete, those you can't just go find those guys. Like it's the same type of point guard that can get anybody going and that can get any big in the spots that they want. And that player, I think, would just thinking about what the salary structure is, it's not going to be easy unless there's some sort of a, a bigger trade. So I, I guess what I fall back to, though, is if you're watching the playoffs now, and I know if you're listening to this podcast that you probably are, there are so many different times when you when you look at the opposing, at the big man on either team, where there's some situation that they're being picked on uh, by the scouting report, by the guard, by the lead ball handler, whatever. And it's usually defensively, uh, but it certainly can be on the other on the other side of the court. And that's where I always fall back to the beauty of Anthony Davis is that there is no situation that you can do that with him. And and it's such that's so, so even if we're talking about how to optimize him 
And that's important. And I think they're going to have those discussions with Rob Palenka and Kurt Rambis and, and Frank Vogel and everything. But the best part of him is that you can have him play all of these different roles on offense and on defense in a in a tight playoff situation where not only are you never even thinking about having him off the court, but the other team is trying to figure out what are we supposed to do here, uh, particularly on offense. And, that, and I still think that, Pete, that for all of the stuff we just talked about with AD's offense, the defensive side is still you know where he is the most valuable, and especially in those late possessions. And just take any playoff game you want and think about if you would rather have whoever that team's big uh, big man defender is or Anthony Davis. And there, maybe if the Warriors were playing, like there are a couple situations where Draymond Green, um, I still think is is great on that end, and you can use his know how and his toughness and his savvy. But I still, I think the answer is Anthony Davis, and that's def, that's way way ahead of Rudy Gobert, who once again won Defensive Player of the Year based on regular season metrics and all that. Uh, but you know whether it was Embiid, of course they just lost. Whether it's Clint Capella or John Collins or even DeAndre Ayton or Giannis or Brook Lopez, like all of these guys have certain things you can target. And maybe Giannis would be kind of an exception there. And that's to me still, Pete, the ultimate beauty of Anthony Davis. And there's still a lot of, of, of cleaning up that can happen on the offensive side. But uh, but on defense, uh, I, I sometimes think we, we don't focus enough on how valuable that is to have. Like you said, we we talked about optimizing AD, but in some ways, the argument that you just made is, and this is goes to the very idea of AD at the five and its importance, is that AD's versatility in and of itself, he's optimizing everybody else, right? Like that yeah. ability to do a bit of everything, it's less important in some ways to optimize him because him at the five means that you can have a better ball handler, a better shooter, more skilled players that can improve the offense and all that. So at the end of the day, how essential are the AD at the five lineups to our success and how you know heavily do you tilt toward that? They're absolutely essential, uh, but so are like so are the AD at the four lineups in the situations right. where you want to have a bigger guy. So that, that's, that's the, right. it, it really is a both answer. And, and that's the beauty uh, of AD. It's the versatility. It's the opposite. It's the whole, what we've been talking about with Utah all year. They've got the big part covered. They don't have the small, like Gobert can't downsize. So they get exposed by a team that can go small. And you just can't do that with Anthony Davis. So uh, could he play more at the five? Could he play... Sure. Uh, does he need to? No. Uh, and do the Lakers even potentially need kind of want him to? I don't know. It's it's a it's a question that you don't have to have the right answer for, thankfully, uh, because he can do both well. And and that is the point with Anthony Davis. That will be the point next year. And once we see what the roster is, we can have those more advanced uh, discussions about how much he should play. So th- there you go, Pete. Once we know the roster for next year, you and Darius and I can probably take a look and think, all right, yeah, it's probably going to be a 70% year or maybe it's an 80% year in the regular season. But by the time they get to the postseason, you know, let, let's get right to 50-50. And, and then it's also going to depend on the opponent because against the Clippers right now, do you want them to play small or big? Against the Suns, do you want eight? And, so all of this stuff is going to factor in, but thankfully he can do both. Absolutely. And I think that's part of why this is a fascinating discussion is that – Again, 10 years ago, shooting teams couldn't win the NBA title, quote unquote. And now you absolutely have to have a certain level of shooting. And 
the answer is both. You need both, right? You need to be able yeah. to shoot, but you also need to be able to defend the three-point line. And that the game is always moving forward toward guarding the thing that has become problematic for the league or freeing yourself up from the defensive counters that the league has made over the last several years. And AD's ability to do both and, and be a monster in either type of lineup is essential to not only our success, but also I think how we build this roster going forward. What I would like to see is a little more AD at the five in the regular season, something more similar to 2020, and have the roster built kind of around that idea, right? That he's going to play there a, a little bit more. While I think size in the backcourt, size on the wing is important. I think that we do need to get a little bit bigger in that respect. But AD just does give us a ton of options in that respect. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great way to put it. And my final point would be to just to add on to that is to reiterate something I said earlier. When you, if you don't have three centers that you feel like all need to play, then that right there is going to open up some more time for AD right. playing there against certain lineups. And because when there were certain lineups that that you could quote unquote go small against, it was like, well, like look, we really Trez has only gotten ten, you know twelve minutes so far, so we got to put him out there. And and I and I totally get that. So that I think can be can be accomplished with the roster. Uh, next season and, and it probably or at least it, it could get back to what it was in yeah, 1920. I, and I think that that would be a, a wise decision. Anyway, this is a, a interesting conversation that we will certainly continue as Lakers build out their roster. We'll be back tomorrow to talk some more NBA playoffs. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Filmer Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. One. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.